All right. All right, everybody. We're on the phone with Brendan Lochnan. He is the currently number one ranked fighter in the 145 pound division in the PFL. And he got the first finish of the season, as well as being the only British fighter in the entire tournament. So how are you doing, Brendan? Things are good, settling back into training, getting ready for the next one. Yourself? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Um, you know, just really, really excited I got the chance to talk to you and, uh, you know, just living life day by day. Perfect. Um, well, I guess we'll start off with what I just mentioned. You started off the 2021 season with a bang, you know, scoring that first round knockout over Shaman Marais and getting the first finish of the season. How important was that win for you, especially over a former UFC veteran like Marais? Uh, yeah, it was really good. I mean, it was it, it went a lot better than I actually imagined it to go. Um, took him out there really quick um, and put me right at the top of the leaderboard. It couldn't have gone much better, really, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I think that that's really important to start off the tournament with a with a statement like that. You know, especially being the first guy to get a finish for the tournament. I'm sure that was just like you said. It couldn't have gone any better. Hundred percent. I mean, like I say, Shaman was a was a crafty veteran and. Uh, to get a win like that over him, which not a lot of people have been able to do. It was, uh, it was impressive. Well, I guess we'll start. We'll talk about your opponent, your upcoming opponent next on June 10th. You have a fight coming up against Tyler Diamond. Um, what do you see from Tyler Diamond and as an opponent? Um, and where do you think you might be able to take over in terms of the different technical aspects of the fight? Um, Diamond, I mean, I've fought Alpha Male guys before. They all kind of fight the same. Um, they all seem to be shorter wrestlers, you know, decent striking, but nothing to to write home about. So yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a I don't know. He had a really tough first fight, whereas I just come through unscathed. So I think that could cause him problems with me, especially getting in against another striker. So short short distance between the fights, I think it's gonna pay dividends for myself. Okay. Um, do you think that obviously, like you said, you're, you're the more polished striker, better with the distance and the timing and the range management. Um, you, you have good takedown defense as well. Are you, is it, is the, I mean, I don't want you to give away a game plan obviously, but do you feel like you have heads and shoulders advantage when it comes to the striking on the feet? I mean, I think it's pretty evident really. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty evident. Uh, he's, I think he also knows that there's no secrets with this fight. You know, I've had a lot of fights now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to change at this point. So there's enough tape out there of me to see what I'm going to do in the fight. He knows what I know. I know what he's going to do, and he knows what I'm going to do. So whoever can execute it better on the day. Right. Right. Um. I guess we'll talk a little bit about the PFL. Um. How important do you think the million dollar tournaments are for the sport of mixed martial arts? I mean, there's obviously been tournaments in MMA before with Pride and. And you know, Bellator ran some grand prix and everything like that. But how important do you think these million-dollar tournaments are for the sport and for people who you know are looking to move into the pro leagues? It just gives everyone a better option elsewhere. I mean, like for for, for the most years, the UFC was the do-all and end-all. That was the only place you could go. But now you got Bellator, you got one championship, and the PFL are all making ways and giving out great purses. So I mean. Like it's just, it's just great job competition. Yeah. I, I think, I think that's really important. And something I think that is a little bit more prevalent now than it was before is, you know, everybody thought, like you said, UFC was the place to be. It's the place to go, you know, the, the premier organization, but you know, a lot of guys who fight 
in previous organizations and move over to the UFC seem to, you know, be doing really well. And, and I mean, even you look at what happened in one championship recently with um, Demetrius Johnson, you know, coming over to, to one and fighting Adriano Marais and everybody kind of thought he was going to run right through him and he ended up getting knocked out. So I think, I think that was another, you know, statement and, and a reason why, you know, you don't have to be in the UFC to be considered one of the best fighters in the world. Let's just look at what's going on over at PFL at the minute. Pet is lost. They're doomed lost. Uh, a lot of these UFC veterans are coming over and realizing that PFL is no joke. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the levels are really high in this tournament. I mean, you could put any of the top five um, in PFL into the top ten of the UFC and everyone would give good fights. So, like I say, it's, it's like, well, let's take Shaman, for example. Shaman's beat Julio Arce, might say, like, beat some good high-level UFC fighters. Right. And lost in the PFL. So that just shows, if we want to do MMA maths, it just shows our high-level of PFL is. Yeah, yeah, PFL could definitely. And exactly, like you said, Pettis, former lightweight champion, coming over to the UFC and, I mean, basically got dominated aside from the one uh, flurry he had with that high kick and the flying knee. And then, uh, I mean, even in the PFL right now, I mean, the the champion of of previous years, uh, Lance Palmer, came in and dropped the first fight. So it's just, it seems like everybody's on a different level right now. And especially with everything that's going on with the pandemic, uh, you know, fighters who may have not gotten the recognition before are getting the chance to, you know, show up and show the world how good they are and how, you know, prestige the PFL is. Exactly, they're putting a million dollars on the line, so it's going to attract the best talent in the world. Uh, and like I say, there's some serious contenders in there this year, and not all have got the first fight out of the way, there's still three more tough opponents to right. go through. Right. Um, we'll talk a little bit about your training regimens and where you trained at. I, I saw on your social media, you're training out in San Diego for this fight. Uh, yeah, so I, I've been coming to Alliance for the last eight years right back and forward um, okay the only reason that I, I didn't come last time was because you know the, the whole situation with covid and they shut down um so i wasn't unfortunately able to get here but now i'm back i'm settled i'm come uh, you know i'm in good company and i'm excited for the next one right and uh obviously we'll talk a little bit about alliance getting to work with guys like you know dominic cruz who's probably one of the most relevant fighters out of that gym obviously there's a lot of high level talent over at alliance but what is it like getting to you know move around and and train with a guy like dominic cruz i'm sure you've put rounds countless rounds in with him um what is it like to have that type of unique awkward style to work with you know on a daily basis when you're in training camp it's great me and dominic have trained together for years now uh, since i first started coming to alliance i actually live with dominic most of the time okay. i've been in San Diego, um, apart from this time. So, you know, me and him have got very close. I've stole a lot from his game. Right. He's starting to use kicks and back kicks now. He's took from my game. Yeah. So it's, it's sick. We, we've helped each other a lot. Yeah, 100%. And, and, you know, obviously we just saw Dominic come back and get that win over Casey Kenny, and, and, you know, he looked pretty damn good in that fight, I thought. He pretty much dominated it from uh, start to finish. Yeah, I mean, he's back now, he's active, so it's good to have Dom back in the gym full-time and, and to be working. It definitely rises the team a lot. Yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit about your other training camps, because I know you've talked about it in previous interviews. You have trained uh, in Thailand at Tiger Muay Thai. 
with uh, some of some guys who are really prevalent right now. Um, what is it like getting to train with, obviously, right now, the former UFC bantamweight champion Peter Yan and guys like Rafael Faziv, who's you know moving his way up the lightweight rankings? Um, how beneficial was it for you to work with guys like that and be able to train and drill and spar with them? You know, leading up to your last fight with Shaman Rice. Well, I've been training with uh, Rafael for uh, since I first went to Thailand, so over about ten years ago, and I knew him from then when he was just making his debut. And I always knew he, he still. I still say to this day he's the best guy I've ever sparred. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, he's a massive up and comer. You have to watch out for that guy. But getting to spar Perry Yam was was an experience. Also, um, it was just me, Faziev, and uh, Yan. Okay. For a long time training, yeah, while the, the gym shut down. So mm-hmm. I just raised my levels up even more. So like I say, this tournament couldn't come at a better time for me really in my career. Yeah. Do you think that um, obviously, like you said, the gym was kind of shut down due to everything that's going on. Do you like having less bodies in the gym training leading up to a fight? Is it better to just have a few high-level guys to work with rather than you know, the normal, whatever, 20, 25, 30 people that may be there on any given day, aside from the circumstances we're do, we're dealing with right now? A bit of both, really. Sometimes it's good to have lots of bodies. Sometimes it's good to just have the right body. So I like a bit of both. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you know, Tiger Muay Thai is one of the, the premier gyms for striking in the world. It's probably one of the best gyms in the world. That's where everybody wants to go. Um, what is it like getting to, you know, train out in Thailand and work with them? And what what do you think is the biggest difference in terms of the striking training out there compared to what you'd get, you know, out where you, wherever you would train at before, whether it's in the states or in your hometown? Um, that's a good question, really. I, I mean, like I say, I've been to Dubai. I've spotted some great guys there. The US trained in Australia, trained in the UK, trained different gyms in the US like Syndicate in Vegas here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been around, I've been around, I've, I've trained with the world champions day to day basis, and mm-hmm. I know what level I'm at, and they know what level I'm at. So it's time to add my name to that world champion list now. Right. And um, obviously, you couldn't have started off in a better way with getting that first round finish. Um, if there was a guy outside of the PFL or maybe it's somebody in the PFL, you know, any other organization in the world, what what is your so-called dream fight? Who is somebody you've always wanted to get in the cage with and fight? It could be a weight class up from yours, your weight class, a weight class lower. Who is somebody you've always wanted to get the chance to, uh, you know, lock it up with in the cage? Everyone says that, but I don't really have a dream opponent. I really don't like. I've, I've answered this question a few times, and I've not really, uh, never really had my heart set on anyone in particular. And thought, oh, I'd love to fight him. Uh, I just take each one as they come. Each mm-hmm. guy that I fought poses a different type of threat, and I look right. forward to the challenge. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is there anyone? Maybe not fighting. Is there anyone who you haven't got the chance to train with that you'd like to work with, or no? It's just anybody and everybody. Like I say. I, I, I've, I've, like at Tiger Muay Thai, you're talking about 50 pros on the mat every day, so I've right. probably seen every style you could possibly see. Right. Uh, so there's not really any surprises at this point. So yeah, I feel like I've, I've seen most of what there is to be seen in MMA. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think that's important too with getting to see different styles and you've obviously been a, a pro for years and like you said you've worked at Alliance for over eight years so you get to see everybody so it gets to a point where you know you've kind of seen every style is that is that what you're, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I've seen the, you know, the Dagestanis, the Brazilians, the, you know, the, the Europeans. Uh, I've seen all of the different styles and everyone poses their own type of threats. Right. Um, getting off of like your upcoming fights and, and things like that, I think more recently we've seen people and gyms and coaches kind of navigate away from the the hard sparring, unless you're obviously getting ready for a fight, that's that's important to have that hard sparring leading up to it. Um, what do you feel like the future of the game holds? Do you think hard sparring is something that's going to kind of fade away a little bit more in, in you know recent years? Or do you think that it's going to be more like technical light sparring that helps these younger people and in, in fighters get ready for their fights? I really think it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it depends on how many years you've been in the sport. There's a lot of factors that go into whether you need sparring or not. Um, personally, I cut mine down quite a lot now. Uh, but I know guys that spar two, three times a week coming mm-hmm. up to a fight. So it's all personal preference, really. Right. And then the whole idea behind the, the, the hard, whether it's light or technical or hard sparring is just being able to get the timing down and, and getting the, the rust off leading into the, the, um, the fight, right? Because you want to have your timing and your reactions ready and without sparring, whether it's light or hard sparring, um, you don't really get that. Is, is that kind of how it is? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly how I'd describe it as well. Okay. Okay. Um, let me see. We talked about Dominic Cruz. Um, one one area of the technical game of MMA that's kind of made waves recently is the calf kick. You know, everybody seems to be implementing it. it it's been used for years. I mean, not as prevalent as it is now with guys like Benson Henderson. And, uh, I mean, one of the most recent ones was Henry Cejudo against Demetrius Johnson the second time. How important do you think the calf kick is in terms of the striking in, you know, professional mixed martial arts. And do you see any technique that maybe isn't getting used as much now being able to either like combat that technique or something that's going to make waves in the future that, that, like we said, isn't really used as much right now? Uh, That's a good point. It's just evolving, isn't it? I mean, that calf kick, I've just started using it recently. Uh, and yeah, it's, it is a bit crazy that whoever's brought it up and whoever's thought of it has, uh, has helped a lot, really, um, because everyone seems to have took it on board. And it's an extremely, uh, it's a very effective weapon because, I mean, if you kick the big muscle in the leg, it doesn't really hurt too much. But right. if you kick the calf, the very small muscle, and it's connected to the calf, and it does disable the leg. We've seen it with Connor and Poirier, so it's, it's very effective at the minute. Right. And like you said, it, it's a different style of low kick, like the traditional tie style where it attacks more on the upper thigh and you kind of drive it down with the calf kick. It's not as much wind up and it, it's, it's, it's quicker to the target. So it's more effective. Is that why you think it's become so, you know, so much more used now than it did before? It really does disable everything uh, in the leg. So is much more effective. So yeah, it's exciting to see the way it keeps evolving now over the next few years. Right. It, is there any 
like I kind of touched on it on the question I just asked, but is there anything, obviously the game evolves day by day, like you said, is there one technique or, or maybe something with the footwork and the movement and the timing that you could see, you know, make waves in the future? Hmm. Nah, not really. No, I think we've covered all angles at the minute, but who knows? Any type of ship could start working. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to touch on, and I mean, it, it's kind of become more recent with different promotions, is the Thai-style Muay Thai fights with the four-ounce gloves. Um, it, you know, you see guys like Nikki Holskin, Liam Harrison, John Wayne Parr have these fights with the four-ounce gloves what are your thoughts on, you know, the Thai kickboxing style of fights with the four ounce gloves? And is that something you would like to get into in the future or no? Nah, I think it's brutal. Yeah. I really do. I don't think there's any need to put MMA gloves on at all. Yeah. I think it's dangerous. Um, and there's just no point. They're just trying to emulate MMA in a way. And there's just, there's just no need for it. Right. Um, do you think that the, the use of like grounded knees and, and soccer kicks and all that, that, that should just be erased um, like totally? Oh, that's an interesting one. I mean, uh, I'm not too sure on him. I, mean, I understand why people do it, but I mean, what are we doing here? Is it a sport or are we trying to kill each other? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think in my opinion, I think that the, the knees to the head of a grounded opponent is pretty useless. Cause I mean, I mean, I, I get it, I guess. Cause if you can land knees on the feet and in the clinch, then why can't you do it on the ground? But it's just a different game on the ground. I feel like that's just, that's it's so much, it's so much less space than on the feet. And it's just, like you said, it's brutal. No, I agree. I agree. I hundred percent agree with you on that. Um, you know, We'll talk a little bit about a recent fight that had just happened, and there was a lot of controversy actually with grounded knees. And it was you've obviously worked with Piotr Jan and his fight with Eljamain Sterling. Um, what did you think of the whole stoppage behind that fight? In like, what were your thoughts on just how that played out? Um, oh God, I mean, he really—I don't know. It's a tough. That's a really tough one because he was beating his ass. Yeah. I mean, uh, it was it was tough, man. I don't know. It was just it was an in the moment sort of thing, wasn't it? And right, I'm sure that with himself, but it's just the game. Yeah, yeah. He was uh, he was he was pretty much running away with the fight. I mean, the first round was close, and then after that, it was just kind of all yawn. I mean, he took him down. What was it like eight or nine times compared to no takedowns for Sterling, or he got one, I think. But yeah, he was he was beating his ass. Yeah. <laughs> Um, another thing we'll talk, we'll touch on with like the technical side of the striking game. Um, how important do you feel stance switching, whether it's moving forward, backward or laterally, how important is it to be versatile and effective from both stances, whether it's orthodox southpaw, you know, stepping back into the opposite stance, stepping forward, you know, cutting an angle and switching your stance. How important is it to be able to switch stance in your, in the striking game, in the sport or to set up you know, wrestling with the stance switch takedowns and all the stuff like that. Absolutely everything. If you can't switch stances in 2021, you're not going to last long in MMA. That's my opinion. Yeah, I, I think I think it's that's something we saw with obviously Dominic Cruz was one of the first people to kind of bring it in, but nobody really paid 
so much attention to it, but now it's like everybody, like everyone's switching stance. Everybody's, you know, throwing a high kick and dropping down into Southpaw or, or vice versa. And I mean, it sets up takedowns with the, I mean, we saw Rose Namajunas use it. We've seen TJ Dillashaw use it where they step forward and then get that outside trip and get the takedown. So it has really become just the, I don't know. It's kind of at its pinnacle. Like if, like you said, if you don't do it, then like, what are you doing? Everybody kind of has to learn how to do that. I agree. hundred percent. Um, well, is there anything else you'd want to touch on in terms of your upcoming fight with Tyler diamond? Is there any aspect of the game that we haven't talked about anything leading up to the fight and any thoughts on your opponent? Tune in June 10th, bring the lot and goes back to work. He's already shown that he's not playing around this year. And it's time to go back and do the same thing over again. <laughs> right. And uh, I just want to wish you good luck in your upcoming fight. Uh, I can't wait to see it. And like I said, you're one of my favorite strikers and all-around MMA fighters to watch. So I-, I wish you luck, and I can't wait to see you step back in there. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, my man. No problem. And I hope I can get you on again sometime in the future because I enjoyed our little chat. Thank you. Me too, mate. Take care. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.